I think Madeline's walking out right now, but Madeline, where are you? There she is. She's worked for me for seven years, and I'm grateful for her. Thank you, Madeline. She's been my assistant for these years, and, and uh, she's done a great job, and she celebrated another seventh anniversary. Anna Palmer, where are you? Anna Palmer is our executive director for Crossroads Enola. She's been here seven years on our team now, and we're grateful for her as well. So also good to have Dennis with us right down here. Dennis usually joins us online. He lives in Houston, Texas. Hello, Dennis. Great to have you here this morning. And uh, let me also say hello to Nelda Burris, who is online right now and had her birthday this week. And also Felix Sapp. Where are you, Felix? Felix turned 90 this week. So he's one of our ushers. And uh, we're grateful for Felix. Do you know that Felix has met people at the door and handed them worship guides for 46 years at First Baptist New Orleans? So thank you, Felix. Now today, as I look at this text, I know it's going to shock you a little bit, all right? Because Pastor James just turns loose in chapter 5 of his little book. And uh, I think he's continuing this theme about he who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I really think he's continuing that. We might need to approach this text with that in mind, that to do the right thing, we have an obligation. If we know to do what is good and we don't do it, it's sin to us because he has a polemic that is aimed right at some folks I know in his community. I don't know about his church, but I know in his community. So let's turn to James 5, verse 1, and the text says here, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Woo! Now, James has approached brothers and sisters with lots of instructions. He's, he's talked to his brothers and sisters about their responsibilities before God. But now he turns to the rich people. And folks have been asking, well, who are these rich people? Because James's congregation is largely poor. And we know that to be the case because when Paul began to raise the offering all across Asia Minor, and he worked in that offering for some five years, he was raising that offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul tells us that not many mighty people are called, not many of the powerful are called, but God calls the lowly to be his followers, and that most of the folks who responded to the gospel in the early days of the proclamation of Jesus as Lord, they were poor people. James is not only a Christian pastor, he's also a Jew, and he lives in Jerusalem, and that's where his church is. 
And Jerusalem is just a few years from being completely destroyed by the Romans. And I wonder if Pastor James, who has already indicated he's looking around his city some as he brings this letter, is not again looking at his city, at people who are taking advantage maybe of the poor who work for them, and he's giving them a warning out there in his community. Look, the judgment day is coming. And some of you have piled up a lot of stuff, and you're going to lose it all. You're just like a calf that's being fattened for the day of slaughter. And I think about when the Romans marched into the city of Jerusalem and just wiped it out, and all the rich folks who thought they had compiled so much stuff, they lost it all in an instant. It disappeared like a mist. And James says, judgment is coming. When I read through this text, I want it to hit me strong. Because it sounds to me like, again, James is retweeting Jesus. Jesus is the one who mentions moths and rust and thieves breaking into steel things. And he's real clear about the fact that our life does not consist in the things which we possess. So it sounds to me like his half-brother, Pastor James, pastor of the church in Jerusalem, is retweeting him as he starts telling people, look, don't focus on the stuff, focus on obedience. Focus on proper distribution of what you have. Focus on management, good management of the stuff you possess. When I read this, I think about how we ought to keep our wealth working. How we ought to keep our wealth working. Because James is not just lashing out at rich people. He's lashing out at people who are hoarding their wealth who are treating others unjustly, who are oppressing the poor. That's who he's really lashing out at. And they're keeping what belongs to their workers. And he's saying to them, keep your wealth working, that is, keep it in circulation. See, everything on earth rots and ruins. You know this, right? That that swing set you thought you would keep for your grandkids to play on, the legs all rusted and broke off before they got old enough to get on a swing. And the stuff you thought you might use that you put in the attic has now been there for what? Five years? Ten years? Are you ever going to use it? And when you get ready to use it, do you think it's going to be any good after sitting there so long? It's just true about life on the planet. The stuff gets old and it ruins I couldn't read this without thinking about the 10 suits that I have in my closet. They're all lined up. And, you know, I did wear some suits this week because I had some suit events. But I used to have such a simple time getting ready for church, I just rotated the suits. And then the staff said, you know, you don't need to wear a suit every Sunday. And so I quit wearing the suits, and they just are in my, in my closet there. There's 10 of them just hanging there. And every once in a while, I'll pull one out, and it'll have something on it. I pulled out a shirt I hadn't worn in a while, and it was stained. I think, Crosby, you got all these clothes, not just this closet down here, but upstairs. You got clothes in the upstairs closet, and you never wear them. And Pastor James got on my case. I'm telling you, he got on my case, and I thought about the furniture that we've got that's stuck here and there. And Janet and I talked about the things that we have in our house and our house is full. Is your house that way? Is your house full of stuff? 
Say, can you take this passage personally for a minute? You don't want the corrosion rising up to judge you on the day you stand before God, right? You don't want the rust and the moths to be a testimony against you. You want to get that stuff in motion. God has a cycle of sufficiency. If you are willing to take the grain from last winter's harvest and put it in the ground in the spring, in the fall it will bear fruit and you will have a harvest. That's God's cycle of sufficiency, but you got to turn loose of some of it. You've got to sow it in the ground so you have a harvest later on. And that's true about everything that you get in this life. If you take it out of circulation and stick it somewhere, the moths get to it, the thieves steal it, the rust gets on it, corrosion starts creeping over it. That's just the way it works. And God's cycle of sufficiency for your life is for you to take the stuff that you are a steward of for a while and keep it in motion. Now, we're going to have a money in motion offering in September It'll be September 28th. We're going to bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And if we've got money that we are behind, we need to get caught up on. We're challenging our people to catch up and give God his due on that day. But even now, I couldn't read this text without thinking about what I need to give to goodwill. (laughs) I just need to call them up and get this stuff into circulation. And they do a great job with clothes. They also do a great job with furniture. You may have a favorite charity, somebody else that you'd like to give the extra stuff to. Here's the teaching. Here's the thing. Let's not store it up as if the people with the biggest pile are the best Christians. All right? Let's not do that. Instead, Let's get those strollers and carriers and high chairs and blankets and pillows we never use and let's put them in motion. Let's get them going. Let's not let them rot and the moths ruin those clothes while they're hanging in our closets. Let's not let the corrosion come over the stuff that we're never really going to need again. Let's get it in motion. And so I challenge you over the next six weeks as you contemplate this, to look at what you got and ask yourself the question, does this need to be released for kingdom purposes? In the cycle of God's sufficiency, everybody has someone upstream of them and someone downstream of them, okay? In the cycle of God's sufficiency, you have upstream and you have downstream. Everybody has somebody living downstream from them. And as God gives his grace and gives his gifts, we can, if we choose, put a dam on that creek and build us a big lake. We can stop the flow and use it all and irrigate our fields and really do great with all this water we got dammed up in our lake. But let's remember, if we dam up the stream, what about the folks downstream from us? What about them? Part of loving your neighbor is being willing to be a current instead of a lake, a river instead of a pond. Not 
being the stopping place for all the stuff that comes by, but being willing to be a conduit for God's grace to the people around you. This is the teaching of Jesus. He wants us to be generous like the Father in heaven is generous with us. And how in the, in the world did we come to the conclusion that the people with the biggest piles are the best Christians when we serve a Lord who didn't even have a pile? He didn't have much of anything of this world's goods, and we call him Lord, Jesus of Nazareth. We get confused sometimes thinking what our credentials are as followers of Christ and believers in the Lord Jesus. Our credentials are generosity, grace, love for others, caring for our neighbor. So get your time and your talent and your resources going in the cycle of God's sufficiency and as you pass on what he has given to you in time and resources and talent, God will pass into your life the good things he intends to bless you with. And you will be in the current of God's supply as you turn loose of what you've piled up to no purpose in order that it might bless those the Father loves. Keep your wealth working, the stuff, the goods. Keep it working. Keep it moving in the life cycle of God's sufficiency. And treat your workers justly and fairly. I read this from Pastor James, who lives in Jerusalem. And yes, they do have crops in Jerusalem. It rains about 25 inches a year in that part of the world. And so they do have crops that come up, and they have folks that need to mow them and harvest them. But we get 66 inches of rain down here in the swamp. It's the greenest place in the country right here. And the mowers are always going, and the landscape people are always coming. And if you accidentally drop a watermelon seed in your front yard, it's going to sprout, and you're going to have a watermelon vine growing. That's, that's the kind of place we live in. And so everybody's got mowers coming and landscape people, and they're taking care of all this green space we got. And I couldn't help reading this Passage from James without thinking about the people who take care of our yards and landscaping. Have you treated them fairly? Have you paid the mower and the yard man and the landscape person? Are you taking care of the people that work for you? You need to pay attention to this. This needs to be on your radar. You need to be intentional and purposeful about making sure that the people who work for you get the wage that they are promised. Because listen, if we cheat them, their cry goes up to God Almighty and he hears the cry of the harvester who is cheated. Now, you know that I have a concern for the guys who are day workers and stand out there in front of the home improvement places in our city. And I have heard them. They have told me 
how sometimes people will come by, they'll run down their pickup window, they'll make a, a verbal agreement to pay them such and such, they get in the truck, they work all day, maybe they work all week, and they don't get what they were promised. Hey, maybe they're undocumented. I don't know about that, but I know this. If you make a promise as a follower of Jesus, you better keep it. And I know sometimes the cheating goes the other way. But let it never be said that we who follow Jesus and carry his name on our hearts and on our lives are cheating people and, and reneging on the contracts we make with them. This is serious business. Our unjust treatment of those who work for us undercuts the good preaching and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in our city. We do damage to the reputation of the Lord Jesus when we who say we follow him are unjust in our treatment of others. Listen, the prophet Amos said that if we treat others unjustly, God doesn't want to hear us singing in the sanctuary. God says, hey, what are you doing in my sanctuary? What are these songs you're singing? It's that famous verse where he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. That verse comes from a discussion about treating others unjustly and being unrighteous in our business dealings with those around us. As followers of Jesus, we got to keep our eye on this part of our lives. We want to be just and fair, transparent and faithful in the verbal contracts we make with people around us. Let's treat them right so that the gospel is not maligned in our community. And people who know we are followers of Jesus also know that we do what is right and just by those who work for us. The scripture says here that the unjust treatment of the worker causes the cry of that worker to go up to God and God hears. Keep your wealth working. Treat your workers fairly. Avoid self-indulgence. See, your luxury and self-indulgence, James mentions here. Self-indulgence comes naturally, all right? You don't have to be taught self-indulgence. Babies are self-centered. They don't really care that their mother hasn't got any sleep tonight. They're wet, they're going to cry. Right? The two-year-old doesn't really want to share. Is this not true? Graham is not really wanting to take his turn. He wants to go every time. That's how we're built. That's how we are. <laughs> We have to be taught how to share and taught how to take our turn and play nice and let others 
use our toys. We have to be taught that because we are basically self-centered. That's who we are. And self-indulgence in the life of a believer is childishness. God is working on that self-indulgence in me and in you, training it out of us so that we can be more like the Father in heaven whose generosity flows down every day. Jesus talks about self, self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-discipline, self-restraint. And I know that it is a continuum because you got to love yourself, right? I hope you brushed your teeth and took care of yourself this morning before you came to church. I suspect that you did. That's good. You ought to love your neighbor like you love yourself. So if you're full of self-hate, that's bad. We don't want you hating yourself. We want you loving yourself, and then we want you to love your neighbor like you love yourself. So it's, it's not a clear-cut thing every time. But somewhere between caring for yourself and piling it all up for yourself there is a discipline of sharing what you have with others of practicing generosity of not being stingy and pulling it all into yourself did I ever tell you about ham the hamster clouds little white clouds the children loved him he got on his little wheel every day. When I got up in the morning, I could hear his wheel turning. Old clouds loved to be on that wheel. He was a busy little hamster, and he had a little hamster house in his little cage. And he spent time in the house, too. One day in the evening, we put a little hamster blanket in there. It was actually a baby blanket. The kids wanted to put in the blanket. So we put the blanket in the cage where clouds lived. And the next morning, I got up, and one thing was different in the house. I couldn't hear the little wheel where Clouds was going around. He wasn't turning his wheel. And I thought, I wonder what's wrong with Clouds. So I went to check on the hamster, and I couldn't find him in the cage. I wondered what happened to Clouds. And then I realized, wait a minute. Didn't we put a baby blanket in this cage last night? And then I realized what, ha what this hamster had done. All night, he had worked on that baby blanket until he had drug every bit of it into his house. Yes, he had packed that baby blanket into his house so tight until all of it was gone, but... He couldn't get out of his house. He had actually trapped himself in his house with his stuff. Which is what people do, you know? Not just hamsters. They take the stuff and they pack it in until all they got left is this little bitty trail. And on either side, there are stacks and stacks of stuff. And you've been in houses like that, haven't you? You've seen them on TV, maybe in real life, and you thought, something's wrong with this person. They have filled this house up way too full. 
Our deacons cleaned the house. The boy who was 18 years old who lived in the house, they found his toys from when he was a preschooler in the house. And we know that's a sickness. You know, somebody's just, something's broken when that happens. So in order that we might more fully follow the Lord Jesus, we're going on an anti-hoarding campaign here at First Baptist, okay? We're going to put our wealth in motion so that we will not be guilty of self-indulgence of focusing all on self and forgetting about self-denial, self-control, self-discipline, self-restraint, and even self-sacrifice. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says if you want to follow me, you've got to lay down your life, take up your cross daily. That's how you follow me. You've got to turn loose of some of that stuff. It's not really your life, after all. It's suffocating you. The stuff sometimes gets overwhelming until all our life is consumed with its management and its distribution and its care. Until all we have of life is the stuff that we think we are consuming, but it actually is consuming us. And we are in danger of suffocation from all the stuff we have accumulated that we no longer can use, way too much stuff to use anymore. What James is saying is let's get it in circulation. Let's not focus on self. Let's not be self-indulgent. Really, the phrase that James used earlier is the proper slogan for any follower of Jesus. And it is this. He says at the end of chapter 4, Instead of making your plans going this way, that, telling everybody what you're going to do, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will go about our day and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Jesus taught us to pray, not my will, but thine be done. Let the kingdom come, let your will be done in my life. And so what I ought to be asking about all the stuff that God gives me to manage is, Lord, what is your will concerning these things? And sometimes his will is very clear. His will in regard to generosity, in regard to loving others, in regard to caring for others is very clear. His will in regard to the orphan and the widow and the poor around us is very clear. We need to be careful. We who have so much that we do not malign the poor. Sometimes we suppose that our accumulation of goods and our financial standing is all a product of our hard work and good character. And if poor people just had our hard work ethic and our good character, then they wouldn't be poor anymore. And while that may be true in some cases, it is a dangerous generalization to make, and you ought not to make it. God is going to judge those who malign the poor. The world is full of them. And for the average person on the planet, you are a wealthy American. You spend more money on your cable bill than the average human being on the planet makes. That's just how it is. 
America represents 5% of the population of the planet, and we produce 40% of the garbage in the planet. And I know we are the economic engine of the world, and that is a good thing, but we ought to keep in mind that we have a responsibility as people who have been entrusted with so much that we care for those who have so little, that they are on our heart and we remember them. And we remember that God hadn't put us here to make a great big pile of stuff so the moss could eat it and the thieves could steal it and the corrosion could take over. God has put us here to be a blessing to those around us. And as we bless them, he sends the love of God and the gospel of Christ along those channels of blessing. And it is a powerful thing to see somebody who is actually free from the dominion of stuff, who is free from the tyranny of money. When you hear James talking to these rich people, perhaps you think to yourself, you know, I'd like to be richer than I am now. Hey, I think most people in the room, you'd like to have more. That's true about us. We want to have more. Some of us have financial goals about where we want to get by the time we retire. And we hold those goals before us and we discipline our lives about it. We want to accumulate and that is a good thing. You ought to lay up for a winter that you know is coming. A man who is wise does that. But you can get caught up in it you can get greedy in the midst of it. You can get stingy. Your life can suddenly be consumed by the things which you possess. You can lose your perspective and your connection to God's purpose for your life. You can get lost in the stuff if you're not careful. And it behooves us who live in a land of plenty to check our hearts now and then to check our pocketbooks now and then, to check our closets and our attics now and then, and make sure that we are not becoming those who hoard like James speaks of here. That we're not becoming the very people, he says, are getting fattened for the day of slaughter. Jesus said, at one point, there was a rich man and he just kept building bigger barns where he would store his stuff. It was one storage unit after another for this guy. He kept getting more stuff and more stuff. He paid money to have stuff stored away and he put it in those big barns and he just kept doing that. And bigger barns and bigger barns until God said, you fool. You're dying tonight. Life's over for you. This night, your soul will be required of you. And then, who will get all this stuff that you possess? My wife's grandparents, Neil and Cordy Francis Rose, I admire very much in lots of ways. When they... We're still 
alive and vigorous, really, they decided to divide up the family estate. And of all the grandparents and folks that are in our families together, Neil and Cordy Francis were the most wise with their things. And they gave their stuff away while they were still alive into the care of their children and grandchildren. I admire that. Neil Rose built the house that Janet and I now go to when we go to the farm. And he gave it away before he died for his children because he felt they needed it more. It's a lesson to be learned. We say it over and over again. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. The pharaohs were buried with their gold, their jewels, their riches, and even their slaves. But in the end, they couldn't take it with them. And you can't either. For a time, you are a steward of the wealth that God passes your way. And I hope that you will follow the instruction of James to be generous, kind, faithful, and just with all God gives you to care for. And that he will find you a steward who keeps the wealth working treats the worker fairly, avoids self-indulgence, and evaluates everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Bow with me, please. As we bow together, it may be that you have never trusted Jesus as Savior but I just say to you, you're in the midst of Jesus' people. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and you can trust him today, confessing him as Savior and Lord, receiving his forgiveness for your sin, and saying in prayer, Lord, I want you and I need you, and I commit my life to you. Would you do it? Would you receive his gift of salvation today? Maybe you need a church home in this city and you want to be busy serving the Lord as you live here in New Orleans. We'd love to have you be part of the work here at First Baptist, lending your effort, your time and your talent to all that needs done in our city for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. Or maybe your decision is a very private one and God has spoken to you about some injustice that remains uncorrected in your life. And the Holy Spirit is sending you out of this place to correct that thing that has happened. Or maybe God is speaking to you about the hordes of goods that you will never again use and need to be released into the cycle of God's sufficiency. God, we pray by your Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Point us in the right direction. Make corrections in our lives, our attitudes, our dealings with people, and even our management of the things you commit to our care and help us be faithful so that all we do and say will bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.